A wild and unpredictable NFL Week 11 has me sore about what happened in Foxborough yesterday and not because of what happened on the field. Michigan and TCU give their students and fans a scare as they pulled out wins in the final seconds while Tennessee fell apart so they have their postseason hopes in South Carolina go up in smoke. Plenty of key injuries have hit across the NBA and Laddergate in Philadelphia. The Mets have Justin Verlander on their radar and the World Cup action is already in the way as the entire globe will be following every kick over the course of the next month. Plenty of sports cooking as my stove and counters runneth over as we begin the Thanksgiving week festivities. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? Is happening, my good people. Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. And why shouldn't we all be in good spirits? Because Thanksgiving week has arrived. And so has the latest edition of your favorite little sports podcast. As I serve up plenty of appetizers, the main course, sides, and desserts. As this is the J Reels podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Quite a bit to get into here, and let's get right to it. There's so much that I want to get off my chest. What a wild and crazy weekend it was for football. College I'll get to later on, but the NFL, as we know, is going to be front and center as we turn our attention leading up to the Thanksgiving holiday and the three games that will take place then. But for starters... And this one's going to be a while, especially for the New York teams, but I got to start off this way with the winners and losers. So I'm going to get to them in a minute, but the winners of the week of the National Football League, number 11 goes to the Tennessee Titans are my first winner. I'll go back to the Thursday night contest where they had to go on the road, short week, cold environment where the Packers finally were able to snap that five game losing streak by beating the Cowboys last Sunday. And knowing that they had to go to Green Bay against a team that looked like they may have a little gas in their tank. And what was that for? Ryan Tannehill was the man that 
other than a bad interception in the fourth quarter while they were deep in packet territory, played phenomenal. And who would have thought that Ryan Tannehill, granted that the Green Bay Packer defense isn't the 60s Packers or even the Packer defense that we saw when they won their last Super Bowl, but for Tannehill to pretty much be the guy leading this team in an environment that you knew was going to be cold, maybe not frigid, and the Titans, we know that they are a very steady team, far from spectacular, and I thought going into the game, if you heard my podcast on Thursday, that the Packers looked like they could possibly have turned the corner after beating Dallas and to be able to maybe go on a run, not to say that they were going to run the table from now to the end of the year to make it to the postseason, but you thought that they would beat Tennessee in their building before going to Philadelphia, which would have been a coin flip, but now you can forget about that and I'll get to the Packers in a second, but good for the Titans because they pretty much wrapped the AFC South and it looked like it was a formality anyway, but with the Colts losing, and I'll get to them in a second, with the Colts losing yesterday and them having a three, really four game lead in the division because they did sweep the Colts, they are in cruise control from now to the end of the regular season and they can put their feet up knowing that they are going to be a lock home team for the opening wildcard round. I think it's an outside shot for them to get the overall one seed, but considering that they already lost to Kansas City and Buffalo, that even if they fall in some sort of flat-footed tie at the end of the year, they will not be the top seed in the conference. So chances are they're going to be hosting a home game in January, more than likely the wildcard round, and you could pretty much look at that game on Thursday night, them beating the pack, and the Packers are done. Forget about them. They are going to be an afterthought the rest of this year, and they cannot flex out of the game next week against Philadelphia. Of course, NBC is going to look at that as the last-ditch effort for Green Bay as they try to hang on to whatever playoff hopes. Forget about it. It's over, people. It's done. Aaron Rodgers, he looked awful in the game, underthrowing and overthrowing receivers, not in sync with the offense whatsoever. And the Packers are pretty much put out the pasture. And the 10.5 that Vegas had at the beginning of the year, as them being your over-under win total, yes, I picked them as an over, and why not? They've just dominated the NFC North for so many years. But this was the one year, of course, my luck, that they were unable to not only even come close to that number, but they won't even be anywhere in the vicinity of double-digit wins when it's all said and done. So that's my winner number one. I know I had a little Packer angle there, but again, we could write them off for the rest of the year. But kudos to Tennessee and winning that game on the road, short week, etc. My second win of the week, I'm going to give it to the Eagles for this reason. After losing Monday night to Washington last Monday, and it looked like the sky was starting to fall with the way they played in Houston just 10 days or 11 days prior to that, and then Monday night having the commanders just run up and down the field, chewing clock, Two-thirds of the game, the time of possession was on their side. And with the turnovers, the most that we saw the Eagles turn over the ball in one game that they pretty much have done throughout the course of the whole year. And generally, when you're 8-0, of course, you're going to play just as perfect as you possibly can. Some of those warts came to fruition. And you know what? It was one game. They were due to lose. They had a bad game. All right, fine. But I thought that this game was going to be dangerous for this reason. On the road, I get it that the... Former offensive assistant to Frank Reich in Indianapolis was Nick Sirianni, who's now the coach of the Eagles. And as you saw there at the end, him getting on top of the bench and shouting whatever it was to the crowd. I understand that he has a place in his heart for Frank Reich, a guy that just got canned a couple of weeks prior to that. 
But knowing that they did not want to get into a little bit of a slump here and the Colts, they were going to be a live dog. The Colts are the type of team that are going to be in games and even with the new coach there, Jeff Saturday, and what happened in Vegas just a week prior, that maybe they could kind of get some footing, maybe get some traction to be a fringe playoff team in the AFC. Well, that got shot down based on the first three quarters. Although they were inept offensively, they were down 13-3 going into the fourth quarter. And Jalen Hurts throws a touchdown pass to Quez Watkins. He also runs in the ball for a touchdown with a minute 20 to go. And they get out of Indy with a 17-16 win. 9-1. Puts a little distance in the division with the Giants losing. And I'll get to them in a minute. As well as the Vikings for the conference. And I'll get to them in a minute. How the Eagles were able to get themselves back in the winning track. Get themselves feeling a little bit better about themselves knowing that they have a date with the Packers next week. And again, that game's not going to mean much. But if they want to continue this magic carpet ride of a season that they've had, okay, they're not going to go undefeated. But for them to not get into any type of funk or for them to not get into a losing streak to where doubt may start to creep into not only just the quarterback or the head coach, but maybe throughout the organization, they're able to squeak out a road win in Indy. So they get my second win of the week. My losers of the week, and this may take a while, people, so strap yourself in, especially if you're here in the tri-state area where I live in New York. The first stop on this losing train goes to the New York Jets. The offense was offensive. Stand by for that. Their defense was solid. They had six sacks on Mac Jones. I understand he threw for 248 yards, but they weren't able to muster up any offense in their own right, despite the fact that the Jets were worse, if you could even imagine that. The punt return with five seconds to go to Marcus Jones, 84 yards, not only inexcusable, but unforgivable. If you're the special teams coach, if you're the coach Robert Sala, that cannot happen. If the return was at midfield or somewhere, let's say in the vicinity of the Patriot 40, 60 yards, all right, still unacceptable. You still would have to scratch your head and pull your hair out of your head, whatever hair you have left as of this morning. But okay, shorter field, understood. 84 yards? Come on. That reminded me of the game, if you remember Giant fans, not to bring up bad memories, when I believe in the 2008 season, somewhere around there, where Brian Westbrook had an 86-yard punt return at the Old Meadowlands to win a game against the Giants with, I believe, the same amount of time, maybe not 20 seconds to go, but about a minute and a half to go, where people could argue whether or not they could punt the ball away. Yes, we could look at the play with Deshaun Jackson, the middle, miracle of the Meadowlands 2, where they punted the ball to Jackson and then he fumbled it and then ran it up the sideline to where the Eagles had an improbable comeback. I think they were down three scores. That's another one you could put in your Christmas stocking if you're a Giant fan or a big lump of coal for that matter. But for to go back to the Jet game, but to have that happen, and I understand blocking the back there at the end of the play, but remember, that would have been a spot foul. That didn't happen back at the Patriots 20-yard line where they would have brought the whole play back. With that foul at that moment, they would have had it at what? Maybe the 18-yard line, and then it's just a couple of knees or maybe one knee if that's the case to set themselves up at the middle of the field to kick a game-winning field goal. Still, no matter how you slice it, that should have never happened. But as crazy as that may sound, In another brutal jet defeat against that opponent, which you have not beaten since the 2010 AFC Divisional game. Now, I'm sure they probably won a game or two in between, but you understand where I'm coming from. 
their biggest regular season game in God knows how long, and for them to lose in that fashion, I know for the Jet fan, they're immune to it, and it's another scar on their body. But here is the worst part about it. The post-game press conference. Because you had the coach, who came out, said all the right things, especially when he was asked how, in seven drives in the second half, how they only gained two yards. 72 inches. In a half. How is that even possible for an NFL team to not only have six first downs in a whole game, let's start there, but to only gain two yards? I could literally trip and fall and gain two yards and the Jets couldn't muster that in the second half of this game. Are you kidding? If I was a Jet fan, I'd be sick for a month. And I don't care if they score 50, get 30 first downs, and rack up 500 yards of offense against the Bears this Sunday. Because this right here, what happened yesterday, is beyond unacceptable. And Sal's response to that abomination, and he said it bluntly, and I'll say it here too, he said it's dog shit. And that's an understatement, because it's even worse than that. Might as well just drop a big giant elephant turd, which would have really exemplified how that jet offense was yesterday. That's number one, I'm just getting started. Number two, I gotta get to the quarterback. Because you wouldn't know it by his performance yesterday or over the last several weeks, but I do believe that Zach Wilson does have ability. He has a very good arm, he has mobility, and for whatever the reason, he has not been able to put together a good sample of games to make you feel confident on whether or not this guy you know is going to be your bonafide quarterback. Forget about in the future, the quarterback of right now. But what you saw there yesterday, taking zero ownership, and accountability when he was asked that the defense, do you feel like you let them down considering you only put up three points and the putrid offensive output that you had in this game? And he flat out said no. Seriously, Zach? If I'm Robert Sala right this second, if he hasn't done so already, you need to pull this kid into your office and say, son, I understand you don't want to take any blame. I understand that this is a team effort. I get that. But did you see the film, did you see what I saw yesterday? Because what he put forth there in that three hours in Foxborough was one that you want to just burn or put in a vault because it set football back 70 years. And for him to not even come out to say, you know what guys, it is a team game. Even if he wanted to deflect the criticism off of himself, he couldn't. And even if he tried, you could see right through it. But all he had to say was, I have to play better. That's it. If he would have said that, it would have gone a long way. Today, I'm sure he's ridiculed on not only local sports radio, but I'm sure throughout the country, whether it's debate shows, podcasts, such as this, whatever it may be, this kid needs to grow up and not only immediately, sooner than that. Because this has got to change with his attitude, with his just taking ownership of not only playing quarterback in this town, but quarterback in the NFL, period. Because if this was Jacksonville, it would have gotten pub, but again, it's Jacksonville. Or if this was Arizona, this is New York City. You make a comment like that, it is going to reverberate not only throughout the NFL and the football media, but throughout sports media and maybe even the national media for that. Because I wouldn't be surprised if he's going to be the butt of some joke 
on Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel come tonight when they have their shows. And Zach Wilson, it's time to cut out the nonsense because his own locker room could start to be fractured at this point. And I'll get to my third point in a second. But it's almost as if he's delusional. Like the the game that he played was different from the one that myself and everybody else watched. Zach, how could you even come out and say that no, that there's nothing to blame when it comes to the offense? When you had 103 yards total and everything that I mentioned with the first downs, the seven drives with two yards, etc. And him overthrowing receivers or running backs out in the flat. I mean, give me a break. So Salah has to get in this kid's ear right this moment to have to own up because the film doesn't lie. And I'm sure he's probably showing him the film right now to say, kid, <laughs> what are you watching? What were you doing? Well, you could cuss a few weeks ago and we didn't know that you were in the same game that you saw your team was unable to move an inch. And then lastly, give it up to Garrett Wilson. And I understand he has to be diplomatic. He's not going to throw anybody under the bus. But with the potential of this thing really getting out of hand, with the locker room, and who knows, Salah's going to have to get in there and really, to a man, is going to have to look into everybody's eyes to say, I got control of this team. And we're going to show it this week in preparation for the Bear game on Sunday. But when your wide receiver comes out, and he's a rookie, I might add, Garrett Wilson, and for him to say that, oh, this is not okay, it's not going to fly with a few expletives in there, it's unacceptable. Hopefully a wake-up call for some people in the facility, he said. And especially in the passing game. So not only did he call out his team, his fellow players, but also the coaching staff. Because he feels as if in the passing game, they got to put more trust in the receiver's room for us to be able to execute, to make plays. And there was one play that you could see he was disgusted where Wilson went elsewhere and... That's Zach, I I might add. And then Garrett threw up his arms to say, come on, out of frustration. Now, I understand he shouldn't show up as player like that, but for Wilson, Garrett, that is, to come out and put the onus on everybody because he didn't single anybody out in the media right away when he made the comment, Garrett Wilson, about how it's not okay, it's not going to fly. Hopefully, this is a wake-up call for some people here in the facility, and he was asked, oh, which people are you referring to? And then he said, oh, no, everybody. Everybody's got to be held accountable, etc. So good for him. And that was the right thing to do because the last thing you want to do is get into a fighting match through the media, especially if you haven't approached the quarterback to discuss, hey, man, what's going on here? So now you have all this brewing, and this is going to be a telling week for this coaching staff, for the quarterback, for the entire team because they've had a good year up until yesterday. They've had a very good season, They've, I would think, exceeded expectations considering that this team's number in Vegas was what, six and a half, I believe, and they're just a game away from eclipsing that. But boy, that was just a bad optic on the field, in the locker room, and now let's see how that's going to parlay into this week as bad as you could possibly get if you're a Jet fan. That's number one. Loser number two, all you got to do is just go right down 95 from Foxborough to MetLife because the Giants were just as putrid, well maybe not to that extent, but considering the ultimate trap game, the Lions came into their building, winners of two in a row I might add, and 
Based on the way they played, they overlooked the Lions thinking that they just could have laced up their cleats, put on their shoulder pads, and it was going to be formality that they're going to win the game. And then what happened? Jamal Williams runs for three touchdowns. They punched the Giants right in the mouth. They had no answer. Next thing you know, 31-18, the game wasn't even close. And the Lions, now winners of two straight on the road. And when was the last time the Lions did that? The days of Barry Sanders, Herman Moore, and Scott Mitchell when he was the quarterback back in the 90s? No matter how you slice that, inexcusable. That's not to say that Brian Dable is now the worst coach in the league. We're not going to go as far as that. But this puts a damper on things. And the reason why I say trap game, because who's next on the schedule after yesterday's debacle? Oh, three days from today in Dallas against the Cowboys, who just manhandled the Vikings. And I'll get to them. I did not forget. Who manhandled the Vikings in Minnesota yesterday. So now the Giants got to go on the road, short week, and maybe they thought, oh, we got our sights set on Dallas. Yes, the Lions, this is going to be a cakewalk. Yes, they won two in a row, I understand, but they did win in Chicago. No way they're going to win two in a row. We got this. All's going to be taken care of, and away we go. And what happened? Boy, did the air come out of that balloon quickly because the Lions just pretty much ran up and down the field against the Giants for the first, uh, pretty much the whole game. But obviously, to the tune where the Giants were not in the game, it was 24-6. to Like I mentioned, Jamal Williams was scoring touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. DeAndre Swift capped it off there with about six minutes to go. And the Giants, even with the great start, and you could question some of those wins. Yes, I get it. They beat Baltimore, and you want to go back to Week 1 Tennessee. And yes, Green Bay, even in London before Green Bay fell apart. All right, I'll give you that. But boy, what happened here yesterday is beyond belief. That's loser number two. And I got to add in a third loser, and that's the Vikings, because this is the opposite of the Giants situation, considering, because they must have read all the press clippings of what happened in Buffalo last week, considering they finally won a game against a big opponent. They were able to snatch the jaws of defeat with a victory. Everything that we chronicled on last Monday's podcast. And for them to put up that big giant elephant deuce that I talked about before that should have been with the Jets, now on the Viking head, Midfield at U.S. Bank Stadium yesterday, 40-3? to I understand first-year coach, maybe they were riding high. Yeah, look at me now, Kirk Cousins, which to me, that's a little bit too much if you ask. I mean, come on, Kirk Cousins, I get it. He's a good quarterback. We don't have to go through his resume and go through every little detail with him. And he wants to puff out his chest for one week because they beat the Bills. All right, fine. But what happened this week, my guy? Just a terrible performance. And this was a game that a lot of people were looking forward to. Dallas, considering they lost to Green Bay the week before. Minnesota, oh, maybe this team is for real, considering that they did come from behind, down 27-10 in Buffalo. And granted that the Bills should have never lost the game, but the Vikings held on. They got the breaks they needed, and they won the game. And now we could think that maybe Minnesota's contender in the NFC. After that performance yesterday, huh, that went right down the tubes. And then for Jerry Jones to come out, and I understand he's going to break out the silver and blue pom-poms, of course. It's not as if he's going to not say anything about his team. But when you think about him now thinking his team is going to be a Super Bowl contender off of this win, I get it. It was a big opponent, 8-1. and one. They had won, what was it, six in a row after losing to Philadelphia in Week 2. And now he could come out and say, yes, we're going to be in the running or in the mix for a Super Bowl. Jerry, you need to pipe down because watch the Giants go in there after what they've experienced yesterday and Barkley will have a big game and Daniel Jones will scramble for some 
first downs and maybe touchdowns and the next thing you know they're going to be stuffing their faces with some big time crow as the Giants go in there and not to say save their season but put themselves back in the winning track where the Cowboys are going to have that big slice of humble pie and then so much for the Super Bowl talk. So that's what you got with my winners and losers. As far as the rest of the schedule, you had some crazy endings. You had some crazy games. I'm not going to get into Chicago and Atlanta. Some of these games, I got to trim the fat people. I'm not getting into the Rams and New Orleans. We can say goodbye to the Rams now at their 3-7. and seven, And whatever games that they're going to have on the schedule as far as Sunday night, they're going to get flexed out. And these games are going to be ones that no one's going to watch. So we can say goodbye to them. And, of course, New Orleans wins 27-20 and Atlanta wins 27-24. But those are games I'm not going to even spend a second on. Another game that I can even discuss, because it was moved to Detroit based on the blizzard that took place in western New York where the Bills and Browns had to move from Buffalo to Detroit. And Buffalo pretty much had the game comfortably. They did end up winning 31-23, a little bit closer than we expected. But the Browns, they're just waiting for Deshaun Watson to come back. As we know, he's back in practice, trying to get himself acclimated to the offense, to his teammates, etc. And everybody's going to look at that December 4th game, his first one back, where it's in Houston. And that's going to be a sight to behold. So, uh, not much to get into that game, although Buffalo does get back in the win column. Some of these other games, Washington and Houston, give it up because now Taylor Heineke is going to be your starter for the rest of the way. You cannot bring Carson Wentz back. I get it that Heineke is a guy that is very feisty. He's an underdog. Maybe not dripping with talent. Obviously not the biggest guy as far as his stature goes. But he does have tremendous heart. And that's what the commanders are pretty much when you think about this team overall. They do have talent defensively. Offensively, they have some pieces with Antonio Gibson and Terry McLaurin. But this team is not going to be one that's going to run roughshod up and down any team Albeit they did so against the Eagles last Monday. But this is a team that's going to do it pretty much based on guts, guile, some smoke and mirrors. And as it is right now, they're above 500, 6-5 and and in the thick of things in the NFC. But because it's against the Houston Texans, obviously not much there to discuss. Am I going to get into Vegas beating Denver out in the mile high where Devontae Adams caps it off with a touchdown there to end the game? No, because both of these teams are 3-7. and going nowhere fast in a division that everybody had broke out the AFC West pom-poms as the best in the sport. Meanwhile, you only have one team in that division as of right now that's above 500. Because the Chargers losing in typical last-second fashion to the Chiefs Sunday night. Remember that game was flexed out. It was supposed to be Cincinnati-Pittsburgh, but instead you had Chiefs-Chargers. And for the Chiefs to pull out the game at the end, and why not? Because think about it, when the Chargers took the lead, they were, what was it, about a minute 40 to go? And you knew right then and there, it left enough time on the clock, there was no way that the Chargers were going to hold the Chiefs at bay, and sure enough, as they methodically went down the field, six plays, 75 yards, Travis Kelsey, 17 yards, pass over the middle, punches it into the end zone, and the Chiefs pretty much iced the AFC West 30-27 to The Chargers, they're always that team that's going to tease you. They have the talent. They're always in these games. Sometimes they pull it out like they did in Atlanta a few weeks ago. And then sometimes they don't. Or more often than not, they don't. Like you saw last night against the Chiefs. Money on the line. A game that they absolutely had to win if they were going to 
part of this discussion, especially for the division, because remember the Chiefs beat the Chargers in week two, but even still, if they would have won the game, they still would have been, what, two games behind? No, actually would have been a game behind with both teams being tied as far as head-to-head goes. Would have made things more interesting in the AFC West, but not to be the case as we see the Chiefs will go on and win another division crown when it's all said and done, and the Chargers are going to have to lick their wounds and continue to try to slog through this AFC to see if they could sneak in the back door or get a 6th or 7th seed in the conference and see what they could do from there. Carolina and Baltimore, the Ravens were able to capitalize on a couple of late turnovers. This was a game that was 3-3, similar to the Jet game, for more than three quarters. Which, when you think about it, when I was watching the Jet game and going back and forth just to see two games with the same score in the fourth quarter, it made me think that, wait a minute, what is going on here? Am I watching a baseball game? Am I watching Yankees-Red Sox and there's no Carolina team against the Orioles? But you get what I'm saying. And for the Ravens to pull this game out, to win 13-3, to keep themselves ahead in the AFC North with the Bengals beating Pittsburgh, and I'll get to that in a second. But Lamar Jackson, not really spectacular with his numbers. Yes, the completion percentage was good, 24-33, but he only threw for 208 yards. They did throw an interception. The only score was a touchdown late by Lamar Jackson. Well, not really late. It was midway through the fourth quarter, and the Ravens continue to keep themselves atop the AFC North, where the Bengals and Steelers were in a bit of a rock fight, where the Steelers were not going to go away just quickly. Now, remember, this Steeler team has scored what? Average almost 16 points a game this year. We know that offense is from hunger. And they had 20 at the half. And as I was watching this, I thought to myself, maybe the Steelers could steal this game. They beat the Bengals in week one, as we know. They had TJ Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick both in the lineup. Defense was not good, to say the least, as Joe Burrow threw four touchdowns, two to Samaji Pirine in the flat, and he ran up the sideline and in the seam for touchdowns, which... If that's a steal of defense in the past, that would never happen. All right, it happens one time, fine, but twice? Come on now. So the steal of defense did not show up in that regard. But the Bengals were able to power their way through, even though they were down three at the half, but they were able to get some stops. They were able to get some big scores. Again, Kenny Pickett, you do like him. He's a rookie, people, so you're going to have to take everything with a grain of salt. You do see some promise with this kid, but at the same time, you're also going to see the mistakes. You're also going to see him not being able to execute and you look at George Pickens we can see why maybe the Steelers traded Chase Claypool away Claypool was a guy that I liked and I thought would have been even better in this offense but for whatever the reason whether it's Matt Canada whether it's even Mike Tomlin and we talked about some of the things with Claypool in the past but Pickens looks like a guy who could be a big time receiver as you saw there with his hands as you saw there even though I understand late in the game where he led headfirst on the attempted onside kick to Tyler Boyd, and he got ejected because of that. All right, stupid play. You want to call it a rookie mistake? You could say that. But I'm sure the Bengals and their fans are going to remember that long and hard come next year when the two teams play. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of back and forth, as we've seen with this team over the years, whether it was Vontez Perfect with Antonio Brown, then later on with Juju Smith-Schuster, etc. So I'm sure that this is going to be remembered as we go into the 2023 season, but the Bengals were able to win 37-30 and put themselves at least within arm's length of the Ravens. They're a game and a half behind them in the division based on the head-to-head loss earlier this year on Sunday night. 
But at 6-4, and four, they put themselves in a spot where they have a tough schedule that lies ahead. They have some very interesting opponents where they have to play Kansas City. They still have to play Buffalo, Baltimore at the end of the year. A game against Cleveland. I understand it's in Cincinnati, but they'll have Deshaun Watson at that time. So we're going to see what the Bengal team's going to be made of. Yes, this is a team that did go to a Super Bowl last year, understood. But at the same time, it's one of those scenarios where it's going to be, not say tough sledding, but we're going to really see what this team is made of with some adversity that lies ahead. And their first game upcoming this week, they actually got to go to Tennessee against the Titans. And you know they're going to be chomping at the bit with a 10-day mini-bye on top of them losing to the Bengals in the division round last year, which I'm sure they're not going to soon forget. So the Bengals definitely have a challenge ahead when it comes to their schedule, and it starts this coming week, as I mentioned, against the Titans. Besides that, that is your NFL Week 11. I do have a game tonight in Mexico, not me per se, but there is another game to watch. And if you think it's going to be some high drama or edge of your seat, a five-star matchup, guess again, where the game is in Mexico City, San Francisco against Arizona. I'm sure there'll be a big turnout. Remember, there was supposed to be a game there a few years ago. I believe it was, wasn't that the Ram-Chief game that was supposed to be there and then they got moved to the Coliseum and that was the highest scoring Monday night game in history? I believe it was that game off the top of my head. But you're going to have Niners, Cardinals, where a lot of people, I get it, nothing else to watch. You're getting ready for Thanksgiving and you get your last dose of football before Thursday. Well, I can watch something else, maybe some reruns or something else. But that will wrap up your week 11 in the NFL where Thanksgiving, you have two good games and one eh game. The one eh game. And let's see, with the Lions winning three in a row, And hosting the Buffalo Bills who were just in that stadium yesterday. So it's not as if this is the unfriendly confines. Granted that they're going to have the home team with their fans in the building. But we know how Detroit's played on Thanksgiving over the years. And Buffalo, maybe with them being familiar with the building. And getting an opportunity to play there just to go back there four days later. That's going to help their cause. If you want to throw that little wrinkle as far as being a Bill supporter, you can. But that's not a great game on paper as we look at it. I'm sure they're going to big up it like if it's a big game considering what the Lions have done recently, but eh, not really. Giants-Dallas, with the Giants losing yesterday, it loses a little bit of luster, but it's still a good game at 4.30. And then your night game, Minnesota hosting New England. And with what happened there yesterday with the Vikings, you know that they're going to be chomping at the bit ready to go against the New England team that just barely got out alive as we talked about earlier with the game against the Jets. So that sets up your Thanksgiving leading into a Week 12 And besides that, the NFL will be quiet for a couple of days before we get ready for the holiday come Thursday. Now let's turn our attention to some college football as you had a very intriguing Saturday. At least that's how it unfolded. When we look at the top teams there in the country, I'm going to start off with Tennessee. And how could you not? Here's a team that, as we've seen throughout the course of the year, have big wins as we saw against Alabama. Of course, the game against LSU, which they destroyed them. And yes, we understand what happened against Georgia. They lost 27-13. But a lot of people thought that Tennessee could be the one team that could upset the apple cart when it comes to the possibility of, let's say, even an undefeated TCU team. Where people could look at their schedule and understand it'd be tough to argue if they were to run the table, win their conference, and how could they not 
be a part of the college football Final Four mix. But you had some factions that thought because of SEC, because of the competition and who they played, that they deserved to be in the game. Well, now you can forget about it because even with Hendon Hooker, the quarterback, as we later find out that he tore his ACL, and even by then, once he was out of the game, South Carolina was in complete control to think they put up 63 points on Tennessee and pretty much torpedoed any shot, any chance of them being in the discussion for the college football playoff. So you could say goodbye to that. So nobody from that region, Knoxville, etc., could say, well, what about Tennessee? Uh-uh. Goodbye. See you in 2023. And let's see what's going to happen with the quarterback because obviously he had a big year, a very special year. And for him to go down like that, I understand a tough break. But Tennessee says bye-bye to their championship hopes or at least college football playoff hopes with a brutal loss at South Carolina. Then we could look at the top seeds, whether you're Michigan and TCU both squeaking out last second field goals to win. Michigan, they were actually down 17-10 in the fourth quarter. And speaking of overlooking or trap game, for Illinois to come into that building, and Illinois has a winning record, so it's not as if they're a middling 500 team or below that. But Michigan must have took them lightly as they have their sights set on Ohio State next week, or this coming Saturday, as I should say. But for the Wolverines to be able to kick three field goals, and yes, it wasn't pretty, No style points, but they were able to get the game winner with nine seconds to go. And Michigan hangs on to win at home in the big house, 1917, to keep their lofty perch at number three standing. And then TCU down 28-20 late. They get the touchdown and not the two-point conversion to tie the game there late in the fourth quarter. But they were able to get another shot. They kick a game-winning field goal with no time on the clock. So the Horn Frogs hang on to live to see another day. And a lot of people think that maybe TCU should take a notch back considering that they, although won, but they had to squeak by and have to do it by the hairs of their chinny-chin-chin because now you have USC who have catapulted themselves to number five in the country to the point where maybe the Trojans could argue, unlike Tennessee, if they would have won To be a part of that mix, well, USC could think that, hey, what about us? Maybe we should be the fourth best team in the country based on what had taken place over the weekend as they beat up on UCLA. Now, it was tooth and nail. UCLA did lead by a point at the half. But Caleb Williams with a monster game. Caleb, as we know, who could be the front runner maybe for the Heisman Trophy with a Heisman-like performance and what he was able to do there on Saturday night. And for USC now to be ranked in the top five for the first time in five years. And know that they can't control their own destiny. Now, with Ohio State-Michigan, one of those two teams is going to lose. So you would think that USC could knock on the door and maybe barge in with what's going to take place in Columbus on Saturday because if they get in, the winner of Ohio State-Michigan, obviously Georgia, and then you have TCU, that could potentially be your Final Four when it comes to New Year's Eve to play in the Final Four for the rights to go to a national title game. So keep that in mind. So with Tennessee out, and obviously no Alabama, you can forget about Clemson, all those other teams, it now boils down to these five teams. Now if TCU loses, that could also shake up the whole playoff mixture. Now, if it goes chalk, you would think that Ohio State-Michigan, one of those two teams could argue whether or not they should be part of the top four, even with USC playing well, not have to run the table, and of course win their conference. But right now, it's sure looking like USC has the inside track on making it to the Final Four 
provided that TCU doesn't stub their toe. Even if Georgia loses along the way, even in a SEC title matchup, they're going to make it into the college football mix. Like I mentioned, Ohio State and or Michigan. And then you'll have, in all likelihood, USC as well as TCU if everything goes chalk. And if by any chance that's not the case, I would think it's going to be one of those five teams that are going to be a part of this college football mix. I'm not going to look at LSU right now, even though they are currently sixth in the nation, but they have two losses under their belt. And unless LSU runs the table themselves to the point where they beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, then they get thrusted into the mix. And I understand there's going to be a lot of angry people, whether it be in Ann Arbor, Columbus, even down in Texas. Because if TCU, they would have to go undefeated, let's start there. But if they were to lose, LSU may take that spot. So with USC, you would think if they run the table, they'll make it in. And LSU could be that outside team looking in, depending on what happens with TCU, especially with them. Because I would think if they go undefeated, they're going to be in. And it's going to pretty much boil down to Ohio State, Michigan, and USC to be two of those three teams standing when it's all said and done. And if TCU loses, then that's when LSU jumps into the mix. So we'll see. A lot happened there over the weekend. With Tennessee losing, it opens up a spot for USC to get in. And quite possibly even LSU. But to me, my gut, I think it's going to be those five teams, the top five right now for the four spots. And let's see what happens come Saturday, especially with Ohio State-Michigan high noon in Columbus to pretty much kick off your college football weekend. I understand you're going to have some games there on Friday, games that aren't really of note, but we all know Ohio State-Michigan is the one game everybody circles when it comes to college football, and in particular when you have two teams that are ranked number two and three in the country to see who's going to move on to be a part of the Final Four for college football's playoff. I was going to turn my attention to baseball and put on the batting gloves and the helmet to discuss some hot stove, but I'll save that after the fall and winter sports. I'll talk basketball now, especially pros, because to where there have been a lot of injuries here over the past week with some big stars that we'll have to keep an eye on. Now, we know about Damian Lillard. He's been out, but I believe he's back. But I know he had an issue a couple weeks back. I want to say with the ab muscle that he was having issues with last year. But that's not where I want to even go. When it comes to some of these injuries, you have to start off with what's happening in Memphis with John Morant. He is now week to week with an ankle sprain. And we know Morant has gotten off to another big start here for 2022-23. He's one of the big stars of this league. And Memphis, we all know that last year, what was he? Out of the lineup for 25 games and the Grizzlies went 20-5 and in his absence which is rare when you think about it, when you have your best player not in the lineup and you're actually going to excel and play even better with him out as opposed to him being in the lineup. But Morant, we understand he's a young kid and we know that he's probably going to rebound rather quickly, but we know that he has a very reckless game and reckless to the tune where, yes, he attacks the basket, he goes at will to the rack, And he is of slight build. You know, it's not as if he's a guy that's like LeBron where he's 6'8", 250, and he's going to attack and have bodies bounce off of him. Morant is more of a, I'm not going to say Allen Iverson because he's a little bit bigger than Iverson, but at the same time, he is not 
muscular. He is not built to be in the paint. Granted, this isn't the 90s where you're going to have bodies banging all over you left and right. But with Morant, because he plays 100% and goes at 150 all time, that's one thing you're going to have to pay attention to with this type of injury, especially when it's an ankle or a knee for that matter. So Morant is one guy that we're going to have to keep an eye on as far as his health goes. And speaking of which, a guy who plays with that same type of abandon, who's actually going to be back in the lineup tonight, is Zion Williamson. He was out the last three games with a foot injury, actually the same one that he hurt that was out all of last year for. And he said that he's definitely going to play tonight against Golden State. So we know we have to keep an eye on him as the Pelicans. They look to try to continue to build, not all only off what they did last year at the end of the year and into the postseason. We understand six games against Phoenix, out in the first round, etc. But we know the Pelicans are a young team with a young coach, up and coming in Zion, who signed that big deal in the offseason. And they put all their chips in the middle of the table, knowing that Zion's health has been a gigantic question mark. But now he's coming back. Let's see how he performs here as he makes his return against the Warriors. You also had Paul George out with some right knee soreness the other night against the, uh, against the Spurs. I was going to say against the Clippers. But against San Antonio, we know Paul George hasn't been a complete bill of health. We know the situation with Kawhi Leonard as he's missed a ton of games. I know he's been inching little by little back in the last couple of games, but he had to sit out because of some stiffness in that reconstructed knee. And of course, that creeps a lot of doubt in the NBA fan and throughout the league and as far as their pundits go, including yours truly. And I hadn't really got on the Kawhi train as far as him not being able to play, but you got to wonder. This knee surgery, it's been well over 18 months, going on two years, and you would think that he would be 100% ready to go. I understand he's not 23, 24 years old, but he's not 35, 36 either. He's somewhere in the middle. And I get it. Kawhi Leonard being the poster boy when it comes to load management. And they're going to treat him with kid gloves because despite the fact he's making a ton of money and despite the fact that he's super private and doesn't like to even talk to the media for that matter, especially when it comes to injuries. But this is one that if you're a Clipper franchise and you're Steve Ballmer paying this guy, you do have to wonder what's in his chest and what's between his ears. Let's call it as we see it. And I don't want to knock the guy. We know he's a champion. We know he did what he did up in Toronto as well as eight years back when he was a member of the Spurs beating the Heat in five and being the finals MVP at that time as well as what happened in Toronto. We all know that's well chronicled. The one year there, bringing him a title, the shot against Philadelphia that bounced 100 times in the conference semifinal and then beating the Golden State Warriors even though without... Kevin Durant and without Klay Thompson for the remainder of game six. But still, they did win three games in Oracle to win a championship. So you got to give it up. But I don't know. This is becoming a little bit tired, if you ask me. So that's not the question whether he's hurt or not. I'm sure he is. But it's run its course. You got to wonder whether or not he's going to be fully invested, not only in this team, but when it really counts as far as him showing up. And I understand injuries are injuries. You got to kind of roll with the punches and take it as it comes. But as I said, when does it stop? So that's what you have there with the injuries. I know Tyrese Maxey, another big guy for the Sixers. He's out three to four weeks with a foot injury and you already have James Harden out. So that's one you have to pay attention to there down in Philly. 
So some of these injuries that have cropped up here over the last week has been pretty much the overlying theme throughout the league here as we approach the Thanksgiving holiday. I know the other day you had the scenario there in Philadelphia, speaking of Philly, where Giannis, and it's not a big story, but the encounter with the ladder and him pushing it off, I call it ladder gate. To me, this is a non-story, and the only reason why I bring it up, and thankfully nobody got hurt in the process, was because he pushed the ladder and was caught on camera, where thankfully it didn't land on anybody or happen to fall on someone in passing or whatever, because that really would have been catastrophic for him, the Bucks, the NBA overall. And was it right for him to do that? Of course not. Giannis shouldn't have let his emotions get the best of him to push it out of the way. If anything, he could have picked it up and just moved it 10 feet. But then again, it was gamesmanship on the people who were disassembling the court. I get it that he had a poor performance on the free throw line, 4 for 15 against the Sixers and a loss on Friday. So he wanted to complete 10 straight free throws. He completed seven and then they put the ladder there and then he tried to see if he could just shoot three more free throws and they said no. And then next thing you know, Giannis pushes the ladder to where it slides a few feet. And once again, thankfully didn't land on anybody. So he completed this three free throws. I get it, creature of habit, and he just wanted to shoot three more. I could see if he wanted to stay another half hour or was going to be there for quite some time, but considering he just wanted to complete 10 straight free throws based on his awful performance at the charity stripe earlier that evening, all right, fine, but Giannis obviously didn't have to go there to where he had to push the ladder a few feet ahead. I get it. People are saying, well, if it's not a big story, Jay Reels, why are you continuing to talk about it? The only reason why is because of his poor performance on the free throw line, but that's it. I move on. And then lastly... Ben Simmons, I understand the Kyrie thing. That's over and done with. He served his eight games. It should have been five. Why was it eight? Of course, you could question that, and I did so on Thursday's podcast. Now he wants to move ahead of it, move forward, and rightfully so. That's in the rearview mirror. No more talks about it. Kaput, he apologized, spoke his piece, did his penance, etc. Ben Simmons had his best performance there last night in a game against Memphis, the aforementioned Grizzlies, and his biggest performance to date, you'd have to wonder whether or not Maybe he's starting to get into a little bit of a groove. I know he had a good game against Sacramento for him. I believe what he had, 11 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists in that game. But last night, had 22 points, went 11 for 13 from the field, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. I'm sure he put up some decent defense. The Nets win by 12, and that's what the Net fan and, of course, the owner front office wants to see from Ben Simmons. Maybe not more so on the point side, Although 22 points, you're certainly not going to throw it away and you would only hope that he would get some confidence on that side of the ball to where he could at least average anywhere between 13 to 17 points a game. They would rejoice. But now, here comes an interesting test. Tomorrow night will be Ben Simmons' first game in Philadelphia as a member of the Brooklyn Nets. Now, I believe he was there last year, but on the bench, it's not going to count. Now he's going to perform. And you know... The Philly faithful, they are going to rain booze, whether it's from the upper reaches of the Wells Fargo Center, to courtside, to the bathrooms, the concourse, the concession stands, maybe even the parking lot. You know it's going to come from all angles, all directions, all ends. Let's see how he responds tomorrow night. If he puts forth a 23-minute effort, fouls out, 7 points, 5 assists, 3 rebounds, That's not going to cut it. Am I expecting what he did last night against Memphis? I am not. But if he plays stellar defense, is able to put forth a 17-point game where he's maybe, I don't know, 
8 for 12 from the field, 1 for 2 from the free throw line, whatever, and gets his 8 or 9 rebounds, 6 or 7 assists, that would be a success. And he could shut up the Philly fan as long as they come out with a victory. Besides that, we shall see. But that is going to be a big game tomorrow night, not only for him, first and foremost, but for his confidence. So let's see how that shakes down as we will take a look at that come tomorrow night down in Philadelphia. Besides that, I'm not going to get into records and all that, people. That, to me, was the big news and notes of the week as far as the NBA goes. NHL, again, if it's not the Devils winning, if it's not the Bruins, who now, I believe, have the all-time streak for most home consecutive wins to start a season. They have 11. They are 16-2. and two. They won't lose. Same for the Devils. They're not going to lose either. And I hate to put out regurgitated narratives, but I, that's why I'm not even going to get into the NHL because... What we've seen here over the course of the first six weeks of the season, and especially over the last three or four weeks, has been status quo. All right, the Capitals have hit the skids here. They've lost four in a row. And a lot of the talk may be about Alex Ovechkin trying to get to his 800th goal. He's still about, I believe, off the top of my head, what is he, about 10 goals away from that? So he still has some time for that to marinate and for him to reach that milestone. And then, of course, Gordie Howe is 801. But other than that, I got nothing for you guys and gals. I mean, really, what am I supposed to get into? Everything has pretty much been quiet. I know the Edmonton Oilers are coming to town this week. If you're here in the Northeast, they play the Devils tonight. The Islanders on Wednesday out at UBS. And then the Rangers on a Saturday afternoon matinee game at 1 o'clock. So if you want to go see Connor McDavid, who is arguably, and maybe I would think, by far the best player in the sport. If you want to get an opportunity to go see him, go do so. I wish I could. I'm not driving out to Jersey tonight by any stretch. Wednesday, I'm celebrating an anniversary, so that's going to be tough sledding. And then I'll actually be in Jersey, South Jersey, I might add, come Saturday. So I won't be able to see Connor McDavid come through these parts this time around, but I got to make sure to see him at least once, considering he still has his whole NHL career ahead of him. But that's what you got in the NHL, people. I wish I had more. I wish I could get into... A lot of other different story angles. What? Am I going to talk about how said team, the Flyers, have lost six in a row? And John Tortorella and what he's done there in Philadelphia? I'm not going to get into that. Not right now. And I understand I may piss off the Flyer fan, but still. NHL, right this very moment, not much to get into when it comes to what the Bruins have done, Devils, etc., which I've been pretty much talking about. All right, if you want to talk about one thing, now off the top of my head, I just remembered. I know Matthew Kachuk played against his former team, the Calgary Flames, as Calgary visited Florida on Saturday, I believe. And why did the Panther fan boo Jonathan Huberto is beyond me. He was a longtime Panther there. Maybe you want to boo him because of his lack of offense in the postseason last year, whether it was against the Capitals or the Lightning in those first two rounds. Off the top of my head, I don't know how Huberto did. I believe he had a couple of goals, but... When the money was on the line, he didn't deliver, so maybe they wanted to boo him over that. But Kachuk, who did have the game-tying goal there late at 4-3 to push it into overtime, and then the Flames did win in overtime in a long shootout, I might add, where Huberto did score a goal, I believe, in the third round of the shootout. So Calgary did win 5-4, and I believe Florida goes to Calgary between now and the end of the month. So we'll see what kind of reception Kachuk gets when he revisits his old stomping grounds in Calgary. But besides that, That's all you have there in the NHL. Quickly with the baseball, as the hot stove had heated up a little bit last week, and now you're getting reports about the Mets speaking to Justin Verlander and his representation. 
Which then, I understand they're trying to cover all their bases. But that does not look good if you're a Met fan hoping that Jacob DeGrom comes back. Because if DeGrom was a top priority or a top two priority, they would have already had talks with Jake to say, what can we offer? What is it that you want? Is it years, money, annual value, whatever it is, what's the deal? As of right this moment, you hadn't heard anything between the Met Brass and what's gone on with Jacob DeGrom. So now Verlander comes into the mix. So then what's going to happen? They're going to offer him a Scherzer-like deal, three years, $130 million to be a part of the rotation in Queens next year? All right, if they want to kick the tires on that, fine. Is it going to be a thing where Verlander is actually going to be a part of this team? I have to say I'd be shocked if that's the case. And it has nothing to do with money or even years for that matter. How I look at it is that if DeGrom is looking to get a multi-year deal, and I'm talking about five and up, then I can understand you not wanting to sign him to that type of deal. And I'm on board with that as a Met fan. But Verlander? To me, you want to go a little bit younger. And I get it. He's a hired gun, just like you saw with Max Scherzer, but we've already been down that road. I don't want another hired gun on this team. We saw what happened with Scherzer there at the end of the year, and I get it that Verlander is an upgrade considering that he delivered in October, even after a bit of an injury there in late August into September, similar to what we saw there with Max Scherzer. But uh-uh, I don't want another hired gun here. Just keep the Grom, leave it as be, and that's that. And if you can't keep the Grom, then fine. Try to trade for somebody, or if you're going to re-sign Taiwan Walker, or go to the international market. I know there's this kid in Japan that they may be looking at. Fine. But don't hire another mercenary to be a part of your staff in order to try to get that brass ring. Yes, it looks great. Yes, it looks good in the headlines. Yes, it does boost the morale of the fan base. But at the end of the day, you're not fooling me. We saw what happened with Sirs at the end of the year. I'm not going to go through what happened in those last two starts. I don't want the same thing to happen to Verlander if by any chance we get deep into the month of September into October with a shot to make it to the postseason and Verlander spits the bit. Because Houston is not New York and it's certainly not Detroit where he played it before. Although they do have a decent media there. But we all know it is not Gotham, New York City. So that's my feelings on that. Other than that, it's pretty much quiet. I know the Mariners are, have interest with Glaber Torres. It'll be interesting to see if Brian Castle is going to pull the trigger on a deal there. I'm sure he's probably going to want to get Logan Gilbert, one of the young pitchers back. Which I would think that's not going to be the case. But let's see what happens there. And I've said it before and I say it again. Check the receipts. I would ship Gleyber Torres out of town. Enough of Gleyber Torres. I've seen enough. I understand he has potential. I understand he's a guy that has been an all-star and been an MVP candidate going back to his early days as a Yankee. But he has regressed if you ask me. So you know what? Trade him for some quality pitching or quality major leaguer and call it a day. And that's that. So we'll keep our eyes on a couple of those things there. And I know Aaron Judge, that's going to be the big talk here. And a lot of people think that he's actually leaning. He's dropped a couple of hints on him possibly returning to the Yankees. But again, we'll see what happens there. And I believe the rumor was nine years, $337 million for Aaron Judge to stay as a Yankee. Again, we shall see. Because I know the Dodgers with now Cody Bellinger out as they non-tendered him in LA. And he has fallen off of a cliff since his MVP days as a Dodger a few years back. But now you have to wonder whether or not will the Dodgers go all in on trying to bring Aaron Judge to Hollywood to move Mookie Betts to second and then you'll have an offense with Freeman, Betts, Judge, Justin Turner, etc. 
So we will stay tuned on that. And then lastly, I know I had a terrible preview for the World Cup. You know me, transparent, accountable, unlike Mr. Zach Wilson. I know I picked England to win the whole thing and they were trouncing Iran earlier. I believe they were winning 6-2 as the World Cup is underway. But the U.S. performs. I mentioned nothing about the U.S. the other day. So again, I got to raise my hand high because A, I didn't do a complete analysis on all the teams. Not even my own team here in the U.S. of A. But we have U.S. and Wales at 2 p.m. today. That's going to be a big game for them because they do play England on Friday. So they want to get up to a good start. If they win today, at least they go into that game against England with house money. You don't want to lose today or worse, let's say get blown out 3-0, 3-1, where you have the goal differential, which I believe that's also a factor here, and then have to go into that England game knowing that they've steamrolled Iran and they have all the momentum in the world and then you got to go up against these guys before playing Iran in the back end of this first opening group tournament. So that's something you got to keep an eye on there. But World Cup is underway. I know the whole world is watching. Everybody's going to be on top of it. Yours truly now will be on top of it, even though I wasn't on Thursday. So again, my apologies there. But as I did say then, and I'll say now, you know that I'll be full bore, especially with some of the big storylines, whether you get an upset along the way or anything of that magnitude, you know that yours truly will be on top of everything that goes on in Qatar now over the course of the next month. And that'll do it, people. Wrapping up another episode as we head into the Thanksgiving week. I will not be on the air Thursday. I got a lot cooking here, pun included or intended, as I'm going to be ready for a Thanksgiving holiday. And I may put some stuff on social media, so you definitely want to peep that. Even my YouTube channel, which I'm slowly but surely starting to blossom and burgeon into hopefully a bigger channel. So I shouldn't even say hopefully. Faithfully. Because hope means that, ah, it's kind of teetering. No, it's going to blossom into something big somewhere down the line. So you want to keep out for anything that I post on social media that would be on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels podcast, Twitter, J Reels, one, just the number. And if you want to hit me up with a question, comment, criticism, etc., you could do so at the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. And as always, people, thank you so much for stopping by your participation and your support does not go unnoticed. It is certainly appreciated. And I'm thankful for you sticking with me throughout it all over the years. Or if you just hopped on board, whether it be today or just recently, thank you again. It is not taken for granted. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review one more time. I sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor you could do so by going to my patreon account p as in paul at as in tom r-e-o-n as in nancy.com slash the j reels podcast whatever you want to put forth will go 100 to the upkeep of the website the production overall equipment etc because whether you do or do not know this is what i love to talk about people this is my passion this is something that's been ingrained since birth as i like to say it's in the blood it's in the dna sharing my thoughts feelings analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, directed, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Be safe. Be festive with your family and friends. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.